Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. Uh, the Last Lap Podcast, even less organised than the Red Bull Pit Crew. <laughs> I am, right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, apologies for the uh, brief hiatus between the Spanish uh, and Monaco Grand Prix. I'm afraid work got in the way and uh, we felt it was better to give you a good quality podcast covering two races than to try and record in a hotel room uh, with dodgy Wi-Fi. So here we are. Um, I'm your host, as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. Uh, um, we are dutifully going to take you through both the Spanish and the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, hopefully this uh, isn't going to be too much old news for everybody, as obviously we're two GPs old, but I think you know, hopefully there's a, enough to cover from, from both Spain and Monaco that it will be a, a nice, interesting mix of, uh, of both. So, starting with uh, Spain... The Spanish Grand Prix at the Catalunya circuit near Barcelona has been on the F1 calendar since the same year that Renault driver Julian Palmer was born, 1991, so this is the 25th anniversary of the Grand Prix here. It's a 2.9 mile lap with a top speed of over 205 miles an hour and a lap record of 121.670 set by Raikkonen's Ferrari in 2008. It's used extensively for testing so all of the drivers know the track like the back of their hand and this coupled with a reasonably uninspiring layout, means that it doesn't exactly always produce one of the most exciting races. What the f*** are we doing here? That might lead you to believe that it's a Tilka track. It isn't, although a slight redesign of the circuit in 2007, neutering the challenging high-speed final corner, was done by Tilka. There is still a driving challenge here, though, with the long and fast Turn 3 putting a large load through the front left tyre. An example of this pressure was in 2010, when Lewis Hamilton's tyre let go there on the penultimate lap, sending him straight into the barrier. And of course, this is also the corner where Alonso had his mysterious crash in pre-season testing last year, resulting in him allegedly losing 20 years, believing it was the mid-90s and that he'd been driving a cart. Honestly, Alonso's autobiography, if he ever writes one, will have some fascinating stories in it. So although the race can be dull, it did throw up an unusual result. In a rare twist to did Maldonado crash here, we can instead say did Maldonado win here, as the Venezuelan was indeed victorious in 2012. Although the balance of the universe couldn't just let that pass, and in a move worthy of a Final Destination film, while the celebrations were ongoing, a fire broke out in the Williams garage. The 10-year podium shows that the best finishers in the last decade are homeboy Alonso in first place, closely followed by Kvyat magnet Vettel, and third, somewhat surprisingly, is actually Felipe Massa. Let's go back to Andrew and Sean to see what happened when F1 returned to Europe. I guess there's only one place we can start in Spain. Uh, How about the first corner? How yes. does that sound? <laughs> it sounds, uh, sounds about about right to me. Um, what What are your thoughts on that moment? Is it is it somebody's fault? Is it nobody's fault? Is it just one of those things? Or should we be pointing the blame squarely at somebody's door? No, not for me. I mean, what did the stewards decide ultimately? Racing incident? I think that was absolutely fair. Uh, you could... 
you could probably make if, if if you're a diehard fan of one guy, then you can probably make a case that it's the other guy's fault. But it, it, it could go both ways. It, it, ultimately, for me, I seen it as a fifty-fifty. Um, you know, this is this is Formula One motor racing we're talking about. Two hundred miles an hour. Both guys pushing to the limit. Sometimes this kind of thing happens. To be honest, the fact that Nico and Lewis have been together on the front row so many times over the last two or three seasons, probably a bit surprised that it hasn't happened already before now. I mean, obviously we had Belgium, but that was... That's two that, years ago that, now, isn't it? That was, and that was child's play compared to the incident <laughs> yes. in Spain where both of them ended up in the gravel and out of the race. Belgium, nobody... I don't think anybody had to retire. There was just a... A case of a, a puncture. So yeah, I mean, this was this was a whole level above what we saw there. Uh, yeah, Nico moves across. You know, if you're a big Lewis Hamilton fan, you'll argue that Lewis was alongside. If you're a big Nico Rosberg fan, you'll argue that he wasn't. He, Nico was entitled to to move across. Uh, ultimately, for me. It was a hair's breadth either way. Uh, it w- I wouldn't like to lay the blame at anybody's door. It was a 50-50 incident, and uh, I would definitely agree with the stewards on this one that you can't, you couldn't punish anybody either way. I think, I think I agree with you on that. <clears throat> I have a few reasons, different, maybe different, slightly different reasons, or very similar reasons. Any, uh, I, I guess um, the rule that was being thrown up very often by people online afterwards um, was something that you alluded to is that the fact that Lewis was beside Nico uh, and then Nico didn't, didn't give him a car's width. So he went onto the grass uh, and ultimately skewed off and, and crashed into both of them. Now, everybody quotes the first part of that law, but the, it's the ending last couple of sentences that really um, you really have to understand to see why, it wasn't ruled that Nico had run him off the road. Um, and it's that you can, uh, you can't initiate a move if somebody is already up the inside of you or the outside of you, depending on where you are on the track. But if you watch the replays, Nico is always heading to the outside. He makes one move from the left-hand side to the outside of the track, which isn't the racing line. Um, but he moves in one straight line all the way across. He doesn't go along and then suddenly realise that Lewis is coming behind him and then flick over to run him off the road. He does a smooth line out because I think he realises that he's slow off the corner and that's the route that Lewis is going to go to try and go around him. So he's just taking his car naturally over to the right-hand side so that then he can make his one move back into the racing line so he's covered off both lines. And I think that's fine. Yeah? Yeah, I would agree. However, I completely understand why Lewis starts to go for that gap that he is closing on at a rate of knots faster than um, he would reasonably expect it to be. He doesn't know that Nico doesn't have some kind of you know fundamental problem, and that he you know after the the little twiddle, twiddles on the um, uh, on the steering wheel that he's you know not suddenly going to go any faster. So for Lewis, that door looks like it's wide open. Um, but sadly for him, you know, Rosberg has enough pace to get over, to close off the door before he's, um, he's actually alongside, but he's by that point committed to doing the move. So he's already alongside. It sends him onto the grass. He 
twists and he goes off. And I don't think that's his fault either. I don't think he, he should, you know, somebody had given him a penalty of saying, oh, well, you dived into a gap that wasn't going, a la Valtteri Bottas in the uh, few races previous who took Lewis Hamilton out. Um, you know, you went for a gap, it closed, you went the only place that you could that wasn't, you know, actually just skewing back into the other driver um, and a crash resulted. These things happened. Um, such is life. I would be disappointed if Lewis probably didn't at least think about making that move, whether he yeah. should have is, I think, you know, is your personal interpretation about um, whether you think in a split second, any Formula One driver has to make these kind of decisions to be right or wrong. Um, you know, and Lewis isn't really a crash boy, is he? Not, not really. He's fast and he'll go aggressive, but he's not, he's not a bargy elbows out kind of driver generally. Yeah, so I would agree with that. I, you know, it doesn't seem like a, a completely foolish move. So at the end of the day, what happened happened. No driver has broken any rules. It's just the worst outcome that there could possibly be for the team that they both drive for. But as you say, it's a miracle that in, you know, two years since Spa, it hasn't happened more often. Um, I, I guess... Mercedes must feel very lucky that in 2015, Nico was so kind of off the pace for most of the, the season that he wasn't ever close enough to Lewis to uh, actually make that happen more often than not. Um, Suppose as... that's something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And in the last few races of the season, it was the opposite way around. You know, Lewis wasn't wasn't anywhere close enough to Nico to really make it um, uh, an issue. Uh, but in this first season where whatever is going on at Mercedes, and it's very strange... Um, it's brought them not only slightly closer to some of the other cars um, in some circuits at some stages, uh, but it, it's meant that the, the cars are closer together as well. There doesn't seem to be... Um, it's not suiting either of them 100%, which is giving them both chances to have a go at one another. So they both end up in the gravel trap at the first corner. The uh, Everybody who's spent the last three years going, oh, F1 is so boring without with Mercedes dominating, has got what they wanted. No Mercedes in the race. They got Red Bull versus Ferrari, two relatively equal cars, fighting it out to the end. What did you make of it? Um, it wasn't as interesting, sadly, as <laughs> I'd hoped. Um, it was interesting in that it was a bit like a book with a cliffhanger, um, with with one surprise twist in it, in that um, everybody before the race said that three stops was faster uh, and the better way to go. Um and so the lead drivers, Vettel and Ricardo, get put on the three-stop strategy. Um, and then Raikkonen and Verstappen are behind. So they get put on the two-stop strategy on the hope that, that, you know, that gets them something. Something might happen and the two-stop might become faster in bits and pieces. And as it turned out, the tyres just behaved completely differently than everybody expected and, and hung on and were able to uh, keep the pace that they needed to right through to the end on the last stint. Um, very fortunate for Raikkonen and Verstappen, but that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, isn't it? You know, um, absolutely, yeah. But <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> it's not overtaking on the track, is it? It's not um, it's not the on on track dogfights that really everybody is hoping for when they say, "Oh, I wish Mercedes went in it so that we could see some real racing." Um, 
sadly that that racing is still middle of the pack where the te- <laughs> the teams are much closer. Um, it's the nature of Catalonia, though. It's never even without Mercedes. You know, it's not the track doesn't lend itself to great wheel to wheel racing. It never has done. So even with the two Mercs in the gravel at the first corner, yeah, it was interesting in the sense that you didn't know who was going to win the race at the four behind it. But you kidding yourself a little bit if you think there was going there was going to be loads of twos and fro's and overtaking and throughout the race because Catalonia just doesn't offer that. It never has done. No, no, you're completely right. It isn't. It isn't the uh, the circuit for that. But so it was interesting for one way, but uh, interesting, but not necessarily exciting. Yes, it, it wasn't necessarily the most engaging race, but it was interesting to see. The most interesting thing about it was that the Rebel was able to quite clearly fight with the Ferraris. Um, yep, and but <laughs> I, I, I suspected that would be the case anyway. I think it was was it um, China when Ricardo looked pretty quick and he got the puncture early on. I seem to remember saying that, that the car looked handy there, and if it was handy in China with a big, long straight, I expected it to be handy at the likes of Catalonia and Monaco, and I, I was proven right. Uh, I think that Red Bull was... You could almost make a case for it, and certainly judging we'll, we'll go into Monaco, is probably the second-best car in the, in the grid now. You could probably make a, make a fair case for that. I think so. I think the interesting thing is that... Um... It's probably it's a better chassis than the Ferrari, I would say, and it's just I think the that's engines. I think that's exactly true. I think that's um, I think the only thing that the Rebel is probably lacking is pure out and out um, straight line pace. Yep. It's the and one... they're getting there. You know, it's taking but, its time, but they're 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 getting there slowly. Then, well, then... I was just going to say actually, yeah, that the Renault have introduced a load of token upgrades as of uh, Monaco in reality. Um, but they've brought on a lot of the technology that's in the Merck engine. The um, this um, I can't remember what the name of the technology is, but it's something that means that there's not um, it's to do with the ignition of the fuel in the in the uh, pistons and stuff in the in the engine. Instead of it being one like spark, it's like multiple sparks, or it's sparked in such a way that you get a more even spread, um, so it's much more efficient. You don't have to use so much petrol to get the same amount of power, which is apparently where Mercedes have had this massive ah, advantage because they don't, you know, they're never worried about fuel and they can obviously probably carry less. Um, hence the reason why at the start of a race, they're certainly much, much quicker than everybody else. So <clears throat> that's interesting. And that was something that apparently Renault have worked very hard on to bring in. Uh, apparently Honda don't have it at the moment. Um, but I'm presuming that's partly based on the fact that there's plenty of other things that they yeah, need to I work mean, on in that engine. Throw a dog they... aboard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it, it needs to be at least as quick as the sort of Ferrari and Renault engines were <laughs> before they can say, it's right, like, now let's get with the really fiddly stuff. Um, but it's a known technology now, whereas it hasn't been the last couple of years. So in reality, it's going to be in all of the engines come 2017 where the token system goes out the window yeah. uh, and they can they can build whatever they want. But for, the, for this season, the, I, I suspect the Honda engine will never have it. The Renault engine looks like it will have it from um, Monaco onwards, which will be very interesting for the next race coming up, Montreal, which, as we all know, is the, you know, has a lot of big, long straights. It's definitely yeah. a, uh, a power circuit. So, so, the, so back to Catalonia, the... The two-stop ends up, unfortunately, for those on the three-stop, sort of lucking into being the better strategy. And poor Daniel Ricciardo, who at one stage in the race you would have had as an odds-on favourite to go on and win the race, ends up finishing not even on the podium 
and his young whippersnapper of a teammate gets his first Grand Prix then. So what, let's talk about Max. What, what, what do you have to say about Max? Well, <clears throat> you know, as, as we've said before in the show, he's young and I think he's getting a lot of hype really before it's probably due. Um, but you can't argue that that was a stellar race from the I agree, man. 100% again. I've been someone who has uh, has sort of been a bit more reserved and said, look, he's got a bit of talent, but it's way too early to be you know, blowing him up the way that he was being blown up. But I remember, even after Kettling, yeah, I had to sit back and go, you know what? That was that was really, really good. I'm a bit, I'm quite impressed. <laughs> it, the way it, the way he held off Raikkonen with his tires going off and things at the end, yeah. Well, well done, Max. That was a mature drive. You know, it reminded me of Fernando Alonso in the Renault when he held off Schumacher around Imola, um, all those years ago. Just uh, a guy coming at you for relentlessly for like thirty laps stint, and he just thou shall not pass, and you know. It's, he, he, he won the race. He deserved to win the race. He won it. Yes. He didn't. He he spent such a long time making sure that the place where the Ferrari had the best chance of passing him, his like whole lap built up to that one point where he had to make sure he was perfect, you know, off of the corner every time. And he was perfect off of the corner for like 10, 15 laps. It wasn't just like that he had five laps at the end where he had to be perfect. Like Raikkonen was on him for a very long time. Um, and it, you know, it's no slight to Raikkonen. I think that he couldn't get past him. That that rebel was just getting off of the last corner so much better and so so much more cleanly than the Ferrari was. That the extra pace didn't help. He just couldn't get close enough to get get by him without having to do some kind of Dan Dare move where he braked incredibly late and you know essentially half straight lined that long right hand corner at the start in the hope that it meant that Max had to get out of the throttle completely and he could carry on and. Well, as we've seen with, with Kimmy a few times, that he's tried those kind of moves with Valtteri Bottas. doesn't <laughs> necessarily end up all that well. Um, so I was, you know, I was massively impressed with that drive. Um, as was I. It was the first time I really sort of sat down and went, OK, Max, now, now, I'm, now, I've got, now you've got my attention. Yes, now I'm listening. <laughs> uh, first yep, Dutchman but... to ever win a Formula One Grand Prix. Which... Is that true? Is it? His yeah. father certainly didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, that um, often the uh, the sons seem to be doing a little bit better than the fathers. It's, I guess the the only one that doesn't really apply to is um, uh, uh, Rosberg. Yeah, <laughs> who's well, won who's won a hell of a lot more races than his dad has. Doesn't have the big <laughs> but one, but hasn't wants won it, the it? world championship. That must be quite kind of gutting, isn't it? In a way that in a, in a way that Keke Rosberg won that championship with like one of one of the, if not the lowest number of actual race wins. Um, I think only Mike Hawthorne's one for Ferrari is the only one that was that had less actual race wins than Keke Rosberg, and like I mean, Nicky Rosberg's won enough races probably to have won his father's championship three or four times over. But more than one way to skin a cat, though, isn't there? Well, it's how they end up at the end of the season, isn't it? Um, so Phil uh, Raikkonen and Vettel second and third, the Ferraris, you know. What? No, no, I don't think they were good enough. No, and on the day they've the really pace. gone downhill, haven't they? The last, the last few races, it's been a a steady decline from, you know, oh, they're the they're the challengers to Mercedes to being, let's hope that they end up in, you know, let's hope they end up on the podium. Yeah, know, let's like if they end up on a podium. You're going, that's, there's every reason to believe they might not. Sort yes. of thing. Yeah, I, God knows. To be honest, I don't know what the solution is. 
I often wonder if sometimes it's one of these situations where, um, and I think it's probably true of Mercedes as well, that you get to a point where if you're right at the sharp end of the grid uh, and everything is kind of going right for you, you know, and I know everything isn't going right for Ferrari in terms of winning races and championships, but the Merc is just such a good car. That's, you know, put that out the window. It's not like Ferrari have fall, you know, in the last couple of seasons have been easy prey for any other teams. They've been absolutely the best of the rest. And I wonder if there's just a point where you you evolve a car to a point where almost anything you do has a 50-50 or more chance of actually making the car worse than better. And it's knowing when to pull out of that design lane, you know, that, that mm-hmm. area that you assume is where you've got to make up the performance. And I kind of wonder whether that's been the problem with the Mercedes and that they tweak stuff in the engine and that didn't work. You know, they've had these problems with the MGUH um, and Ferrari seem to be having problems turning on the tyres and that certainly wasn't the case the last few seasons. So something that they've tweaked in the aero setup maybe has, you know, um, has unbalanced the car in a way that means it's not getting the heat into tyres before. Because that was the problem with Ferrari last year, wasn't it? They could get the heat into tyres, which meant they could get on the you know, on it quick, but they were burning out the tyres sooner than everybody else. Um, and it's the opposite way now, is that they seem to be lacking the ability to, to make the tyres work, whereas obviously the Red Bull has always had good, you know, uh, good aero, and so it has an, an easier time of getting heat into the tyres. They're going to work their tyres harder. Um, and with this season's harder tyres, um, harder pressures, uh, as it seems to be, that's played into the hands of Red Bull rather rather nicely. Feel bad for Danny Rick, fourth. Oh, incredibly. Uh, with a puncture as well, was just like... Um, yeah, he's not on the cake, wasn't it? Yeah. He still, luckily, he got out ahead of Bottas by a couple of seconds, so that's the main thing. You know, um, I mean, it could have been so a lot much of consolation, worse, Not a lot of consolation, but, but yeah, to not end up on the podium, given where he was sort of halfway through the race, pretty, pretty uh, tough for him to take, I think. Yes. Uh, absolutely, uh, and nobody's fault of their own, really. It was it, it was just that, you know, that that switch in strategies just happened because of the tyres, uh, and it's clearly been something that's in the previous races has happened a lot, where the tyres have changed actually what's what's good and what's bad, um, in terms of strategy. So fifth was Valtteri Bottas in Williams. Um, I guess that's a very good result for them in a way, given the circuit. It's yeah. it's not really a second that's going to suit the Williams, which is you know kind of more power driven. Um, you know that third sector is always going to hurt them. Um, he you know he was a good good way up the road ahead of the Toro Rosso, which had looked fairly handy um, that race as well. Um, yeah, good for uh, just in the Toro Rosso. Carlos Sainz Spanish on his home Grand Prix. That's an very good result. result. Very good race. He was I think you know he. Um, he muscled his way to to that result and kept probably um, Perez behind him um, rather unexpectedly because I think I think that Force India is at the least at the moment seemed to come fairly good. Um, yep, yeah, I say it all the time with the Force Indias. One week we could be absolutely nowhere, and the next week we'll just be like a lot quicker for no explanation. Yeah. <laughs> they're a, they're a mind just mess of a car i don't understand them sometimes and i'm sure we'll come on to it in monaco where they obviously had another good result i don't understand so they're a bit unpredictable one week they're great other week they're awful this week in spain perez seventh 
good result. Has to be that has to go down as a good result. Yeah, Sanson, I, I uh, so. six just reminding everybody a little bit, you know, that he's still there with Max's big move the week before. Uh, uh, absolutely, that, you know not to forget about him. Yeah, uh, if Ricardo went for whatever reason, um, I, I think Signs would get the call up, and I think they'd actually have no hesitation in doing that. Um, I think he's clearly shown that he is um, pretty much as good as Max is um, and, and can be uh, on his day. I think he just needs to, you know, he needs the luck to some extent, you know, let his car keep on going. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a good consistent driver. who's fast and, and has, and has skill as well. Um, this this could be the making of him, and ironically, as we go and talk to Monaco, it might be the uh, the opportunity that he he might, he gets sooner rather than later potentially. Uh, so skipping on from Toro Rosso, we had Perez in seventh, and then Massa in eighth, only separated by uh, a second or so. Um, there's been talk in the press about Button coming into Williams in replace for Massa. I think Massa's definitely out the door. Uh, I'm not sure Button's the right guy to go in. I think they need a bit. I think they need youthful exuberance in there. I think they need Bottas to be the experienced head and someone. I've mentioned Kvyat a few times previously. I think they need. I think that's the way they should be looking. If they're going to get rid of Massa, which I think they will, I think they've got to look for young legs and let Bottas be the experience. Uh, Bottas is at the stage in his career now where he's more than capable of doing that. He's more than capable of being the the most experienced guy in the team. Jensen obviously is Jensen. You know, Jensen's a, a world class Formula One driver. But for the sort of direction in which Williams should go, I w- I wouldn't put Button in that car. Okay, interesting, interesting. I think I'd take Button ahead of Kvyat at this point in time. Um. For the consistency factor, uh, I think that's what they're missing in Massa, uh, and ironically, I think that's exactly what Button could give them. Um, I don't think for very long, not more than a season or so, but uh, I think he's got to be a steadier hand for that team than I think Felipez, who is very up and down um, form-wise, you know. It's interesting you say that. I, I generally agree because, he, and especially in his latter days at Ferrari, he was awful for that kind of thing. But he has been in the points every race this season, I believe, Felipe Massa. Yeah, but I no, just... But I agree with I'm just making the point that, that he has. I actually agree with what you're saying. He, he, he has got that inconsistency and he has got that ability to just have really weird races where he just completely disappears and, and you're not quite sure what happened to him. But at the same time, he has been in the points every race, which you can't argue. Um, no, but he's he's in the Williams, which I would expect to be in the points. It's yeah, not yeah. it's not like he's driving the Haas and doing that. In which case, you'd be like, "That's incredibly, you know, mm-hmm. that's, no, that's inc- yeah, sort of a good a good result." So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's my my feelings kind of I would, on the matter. I, I would I would take him out of the car as well. But I think if you're going to go to the, if you're going to bother taking Massa out of the car, I think just go. Go in the complete opposite direction and put some young, hungry guy in the car with something with loads to prove. That's the way I would I would like to see it go. 
<laughs> so ironically talking about who should get Massa's seat, the next two drivers uh, in line are actually the people we're talking about um, replacing him. So Button in ninth, um, another point score for um, the improving McLaren. Tenth Happy days. for yeah, tenth for Kvyat. Um, not a great race. Did he have any problems? I can't remember if he had a problem or not. Um, I seem to think something happened to him, but I I can't remember off the not top 100% of my head. Not hundred percent sure. Um, then we have um, Gutierrez in the Haas. Uh, finishing ahead of Mark Eriksson in the Sauber for a 12th for Sauber, which has probably got to be about their best result uh, this season. They're going to be lucky to get a point this season. I think that's incredibly true. I think they will need a very, very wet and crashy race. Um, and these days with the way the safety car works, even that is kind of taking the... is becoming more rare um, because they just don't let the cars on track when it's even slightly damp. Um but he finishes ahead of both uh, Renaults, uh, with Palmer finishing ahead of Kevin Magnussen. Um, ahead of his teammate as well. Yeah, kind of got to be the... Um, One of Ericsson's better drives, you would have to say. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the same for, for Palmer. I, I'm just, Again, I'm trying to remember if there was um, uh, a problem with Magnussen. Um about why he finished behind uh, Palmer, but I can't remember. Uh, somebody remind me. Um, yet more drivers being lined up for free practice one by Renault. Um, <laughs> are we at this point thinking that Palmer is probably not going to make the season? <sighs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I said last time I, I didn't think they would get rid of him. I thought, you know, this is this is Renault. This isn't a tin pot outfit. This is a, a historic racing brand. And that they would show a driver, you know, a bit more time, a bit more patience than maybe someone like one of these sort of younger teams like Manor or Sauber or something like that. Sauber, not not a young team, but you know what I mean. Like Renault are a, they're a big worldwide brand, you know, of a car manufacturer. So I thought they might have a little bit more patience than perhaps a privateer. But you know, and then we'll go into Monaco with Palmer's accident. He needs some results soon. Definitely, I still think I still don't think they'll replace him anytime soon. But the pressure is the pressure's getting on his shoulders. But I'm gonna go and stick my colours to the mass and say I think Renault will give him time. Okay. I mean I I, I um I hope that's certainly um the case. Um you know we're seeing name you know people like uh I think it's Nicholas Latifi He's scheduled for a, a FP1 potentially uh, as a Canadian driver, but I'm with that last name you'd assume French Canadian, which has obviously got to be um, something of a uh, a bonus for the French Renault team. Um, there's uh, is it Arthur Peak in GP2 um, who's had some reasonable results, although realistically Palmer is a former GP2 champion, so yeah, at least that, you like, probably have like that. that isn't going to isn't going to be an upgrade you know like if they're going to replace him it should be with someone like 
who's got a bit of experience probably given how you know relatively inexperienced magnuson is himself you know that's what you'd if you're going to bother replacing palmer it should be someone like uh i don't know who's out of a drive but with a bit of experience uh, and I, can't, if, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but you know what I'm getting at. Someone yeah. who's been around the block, had a few, you know, a modern day Nick Heidfeld, if you want, someone like that. Uh, and there is also um, vague talk of uh, Charles uh, Leclerc, um, who is a uh, Ferrari junior driver. Um, although so, I get the feeling that he's probably more likely to end up in the Haas instead of Gutierrez than uh... all these, you know, all these names is fine. But when you're when you're developing a car in the way that Renault are, they're coming from well off the pace in terms of car development. These guys aren't what you need. You know, it's all great putting them in and getting a, a you know, a little boost from whatever young driver academy they've come from and a little helping hand from those guys, or you know getting sponsorship money something like that but that's not really what they need they need someone who's going to be able to go in that car and sit down in it and go okay this car this is what needs to improve what you know and and drag the performance out of it those guys like that who are 19 coming out of a young driver academy aren't going to give them that no at least, uh, at least palmer for you know he's not had the best starts to his formula one career but he's you know he had plenty of time, plenty of experience in the lower formulas and that. So he's he's not he's inexperienced in Formula One, but he's not an inexperienced racing driver. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, I think you know. I think you're completely right there. Um, and if it was if it was me making the decisions, I certainly wouldn't be looking to uh, <clears throat> to get rid of him. But um, it, I just I find it difficult to believe that Renault putting all of this kind of money in are going to stick with somebody who at the moment at the moment um, is pretty inconsistent especially compared to his teammate um, who I think is is proving exactly why um, you know McLaren kept him on the books for as long as they possibly could yeah as part of their young driver program I think the ironic thing isn't it is that if um, you never know if Button and Alonso stay for 2017 at McLaren um, and Van Dorn and K Mag in, in the Renault <laughs> would be, be, you know, that would be sensational, but I can't see that happening. But God, no, but it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, so yeah, so going down from uh, the two Renaults, um, there was uh, Nazza in the uh, Sauber, followed by the Manor, uh, both the Manors of Verlin and Harianto. Uh, so we obviously lost the two Mercedes. <laughs> Uh, on that one, having a problem, not making it home at a Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah, the um, uh, software glitch that was. It wasn't uh, even an engine failure; it was a software issue. Hulkenberg uh, retired on lap twenty, uh, and Grosjean retired in the Haas uh, on lap fifty-six. Now let's talk about Haas. Grosjean has been very vocal on the radio about how badly the car is feeling at the moment. You know. Uh, undrivable. They bought in a new chassis for him, thinking it was a chassis prob- problem, and that doesn't seem to have sort of gone away. Um, and you know, Gutierrez has claimed the spoils, so to speak, in the last couple of races. I predicted on the last show and said and stuck my colours to the mass, as we say, that McLaren would finish above Haas by the end of the season. And I'm starting to feel fairly vindicated by that um, by yeah. that prediction. It feels to me that Hassan now 
really struggling to understand what they need to do to keep developing that car. I think they yep. started off the season with a very good all-round package. It's um, just it'll be it's just going to come down to the inexperience of the team. You would have to say they they don't know what it's like to go through a Formula One season. They've never done it before, so they don't. They're probably learning every single day, every single week of what it takes to continually improve in Formula One as a team. So yeah, I I think your 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 bet on McLaren is probably a safe one. They're going to learn every day, Haas, but it's going to be challenging for them. It's going to take time. Okay, dokie. So, driver of the day for Spain. It's got to be Max. It has to be Max Verstappen. Yeah, the, worth saying it just in case. But yeah, there's there's very there's very few other options really from there. Um, a, a nod to um, Carlos Sainz, I think. Yeah, good result for Carlos Sainz. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So on to Monaco. There seems little point in a track guide to Monaco, as I'm sure everyone listening can close our eyes and drive a lap of the two-mile circuit in our heads right now. Sitting on the grid with the engine running, waiting for the lights. One, two, three, four, five, go! Accelerate quickly, the first corner, Sandivot. The big pull up the hill through Beau Rivage. Round Massonet and Casino Square. Dodge the bump on the run down to Mirabeau and the tight Lowe's hairpin, the slowest corner on the calendar. Round Portier before flooring it to blast through the tunnel. Don't lose the back end coming out over the bump, head into the twisty Nouvelle Chicane. Throw the car through the swimming pool. Run round Rascas and Anthony Nose to cross the start finish line. Have we beaten Ricardo's lap record of just over 78 seconds? No, don't worry, we've got 77 more laps to try again, shaving fractions of a second off each time. But keep concentrating as the slightest mistake and it's all over. It may be virtually impossible to overtake here, but who cares? This is Monaco, this is Formula One. An interesting uh, race all round. Um, other other than rather than it. the result, I guess. In a lot of ways, I think the result was, in the end, I think slightly disappointing in a, in a way. Um, <laughs> well, depends what side of the fence well, you sit on, but yeah, I was disappointed. <laughs> um, not necessarily because Lewis himself won, because or because it was Lewis who won. Um, I think I'd have said the same thing any other way around, but um, but it all starts from quality, doesn't it? With Ricardo playing an absolute blinder. Yeah, that's um, the best place to start. I think Ricardo's qualifying lap. Uh, he just can... seemed mighty. Uh, absolutely everything hooked up uh, in the dry conditions. Um, able to qualify on a set of super softs uh, as well. Uh, in in quality two, it was rather in a way it was a rather shame that there was rain on that yeah, was on that basis you know. because it 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 would have been I think more fun to see how he would have done that whilst you know whilst the others burnt out their ultra softs behind him potentially. Um, 
and he could carry on. And then at, at the end, when he comes out on Ultrasofts, uh, and and would potentially be able to make up the time. So very very interesting quali. Um, I was massively impressed by by what he did there. Uh, and then we get a wet race, which is what I was won at Monaco. Yeah. Wet race around Monaco. Uh, when I found out it was going to be wet, I was absolutely delighted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't like the safety car start. Uh, I think it was out too long. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, and I, I think I, I'm reluctant for safety safety car starts, and you know, I, I, I'm going to need it to be, you know, chucking it down relentlessly before I start thinking oh, a safety car I want I just just get on with it you know these guys are professionals I'm a bit Martin Brundle's got, sort of kind of got that attitude as well and I'm like just get them on get on with it you know get on with it but it is what it is they still started under safety car it was out too long but we started quite you know even once it came in we started quite a good you know first, first sort of stint to the race I would say an interesting first stint to the race. So I don't think it affected it too much, but I would have preferred not to have seen that start under the safety car. Yes. Um, I guess then the first point of order is uh, Nico Rosberg giving way to Lewis Hamilton. Just complete lack of pace, wasn't it, in the wet? Didn't well. He said it himself at the end of the car that he he didn't felt he didn't feel he had any confidence in how the car was handling, uh, whether that was you know, you know, problems with his brakes or tires or, or whatever it was. Um, but I sit there and I you know I think, you know, it's Monaco, Nico, and in Hungary, Lewis said, "I'm not moving over for him." You know, he's my title rival. I'm fighting him in the title. Uh, was it... Let's not say, was it the right thing to do? Because it was the right thing to do. Ultimately, Lewis was the faster driver uh, and had the chance to go on and win the race. So in terms of playing the team game and doing all the right things, uh, you know, certainly morally right, he, he did the right thing. Was it the correct thing to do to make life easier for your title rival just for the t- to play the team game? Well, I mean, obviously not, in the, especially in hindsight, given where he finished and the amount of points he lost to Lewis. But uh, an interesting thing was mentioned. Nico's contract negotiations are ongoing right now. You know, they had that incident in Spain. I think he... Anything other than him just being... Yes, sir. What more can I do for you, sir? How high, sir? To to the bosses of Mercedes, it, it was it was bad timing for that kind of situation. Given the incident in Spain, and given that his contract's currently being negotiated, he, he, his hands were tied. Essentially, he, he couldn't have done any other way. Apparently, Paddy Lowe was on the radio and said, "Nico, you need to pick up your pace, or Lewis is going through." So you, they gave him two laps, and he couldn't pick up the pace, so he had he let him through. And you know that's absolutely fair, and. You can't blame Nico for that, you know. It's a team sport in the end. Obviously, as a fan of Rosberg, who wants to see him win the World Championship, I'd have loved to have seen him say no and and battle and refuse to let Lewis pass. Could have been 70 laps behind non-Monaco. You never know. Even even with the pace Rosberg was going, it, Lewis would have found it difficult to pass there. So, but I can't I can't I can't blame Nico for for what he did. 
especially under the specific... If Spain hadn't happened and if Nico had already tied his new contract down, it might have been a different story. But under the situation, I think he had to do the right thing. Uh, so once we kind of get going, uh, well, poor old Daniel Kvyat didn't really get going, did he? Um, stuck he was at a, a lap down speed. before it even started, wasn't he? He got back out and then he was a lap down. So well, because of the problem. So I mean, you have Danny Kvyat coming out of the Red Bull into the Toro, so under loads of pressure, and then something like that doesn't help. After he qualified quite well, he was in the top ten in qualifying. Feel bad for the poor kid. He did say on the on the radio. Why does it always happen to me in quite possibly the most dejected voice um, I'd ever heard from a Formula One driver actually driving a car? There was um, loads of talk as well, like that he's just Rundle and Crofty and that were saying that he was just they seen him out and about around the paddock and that, and he just looked miserable the whole weekend. <laughs> it must just be, and bless him, his um, uh, I think it's under it's his Twitter thing or underneath his thing, it's got um, a human being, and I was just like. Oh, Danny, it's life isn't that bad, mate. Please come on now. Let's lift the. I lift. think he probably has to get out from the Red Bull feet now. I think the bridge is almost fully burnt. Yes, uh, I, I'm exactly. Guys, do your season at Toro Rosso, put in some good drives, and get yourself in the shop window. And if it means going to someone like Renault or you know, or Hass someone, or somebody, or Hass, yeah. yeah, then take the drive. And if you can get yourself in the Williams, brilliant, bang on and crack on there. But yeah, I think it's. Is is almost unrecoverable at Red Bull now for him, especially with Science doing so well. If hypothetically Danny Ricardo disappeared into thin air, they look at Toro Rosso and they see Fiat and they see Science. Well, you mentioned it a minute ago. They'd yeah. probably take Science, wouldn't they? So, yeah, absolutely. Especially because you know Fiat's got that stick when I've been have tried They've and failed, dumped I'll, once. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Sainz has got this, oh, look, he's this new kid on the block who's showing loads. Let's give him a shot. Or we could take Fiat, oh, no, he messed up last time. Let's try something different, you know? So it's difficult for, for him to come back from that. He needs uh, he needs a move big time in the summer. Well, sorry, in the winter. So we did eventually manage to get going uh, after the safety car, but only for two laps before uh, Jolian Palmer again did himself no favours by uh, <clears throat> spinning the wheels up on a zebra crossing and... Um, Face planting basically uh, into the wall. Um, nothing Hard he could have done about Julian it, but it, it, no, it. no, absolutely, and I'm certainly not. But it, it, it just, it has to be said that that kind of thing is not going to do him nope. uh, any favors. Going back, you know, going back to what we said about him losing his drive, he just, he needs, he needs a solid weekend of qualifying well and racing well, and just saying and and showing people that he's capable and consistent. You know, he needs that in the same way that. Uh, who was I going on about before and needed something similar? Uh, he, he just needs to remind people that that he's okay because if he puts it in the wall after two laps, you're not seeing him. You know, he, even if he's even if he finishes fourteenth in a race, if you see him battling and scrapping away with people, even if he ultimately only finishes fourteenth, at least people can see what you can do. But putting it in the wall, people just forget he exists, and that's not what he needs. No, oh, uh, not his fault though. Not his fault. And in, in this instance, not his fault. Uh, something that probably was somebody's fault was Kimi Raikkonen's. <laughs> that was a peach when he oh. drove into. Um, was it Grosjean? He drove into the side off because he didn't have the front wing on. Oh, it was phenomenal. It's it's one of those so embarrassing little wet wet tire 
incidents where he, he taps it into the arm core going about five miles an hour around the hairpin. It looks so tragic when you see it, but there's nothing he could do, I don't think. Uh, and then, very lucky to go away with um, no punishment for driving all the way through the tunnel with his wing stuck under it. <laughs> Classic um, Kimmy does what he wants, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'm I, I'm assuming that he gave them a fairly reasonable excuse of saying, well, look, I didn't really see anywhere else that I could pull off that, you know, I'd have been um, more out of the line. The bit that surprises me is when he got to the bottom of the hill, it, you know, I'm surprised he didn't park it up in the little lay-by to the right-hand side. Um, you know, as, as you come down the hill and then you've got the that sort of uh, N-shaped chicane. Yeah. Down the right-hand side, there's a massive runoff area because there's the end yeah, yeah. wall that Button and several others have crashed into at high speed. Rosberg yep. as well. I'm quite surprised that he didn't pull over there um, or wasn't told to pull over there because he went quite a lot further with that... Um, is that not where he pulled over? Where did he end up pulling over? Uh, I can't remember, but he definitely went past it. I think he pulled over at the next, um, the the next window, but he definitely didn't. Um, he definitely didn't stop there. I don't believe. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, people. You you tell me if I if I've got that wrong. I don't think <laughs> I have. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, just his incident with Rosberg <laughs> where he couldn't control the obviously the front wings underneath. The car and he couldn't control it and he just it cut he him just off, didn't eased, he? Basically, he just, he just went Rosberg well. I'm to the barrier. Uh, it's just, and Rosberg's on the foot. going, what's going on? Uh, sorry, what did I say? Did I say Rosberg? Rosberg yeah. I meant to say Roman. Not <laughs> get my arms mixed up. Gro- he just Rosberg. cut him off, didn't he? he? Was just like, well, I'm going straight ahead here. So He's on the radio, <laughs> going, "What does Kimi doing?" He's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Oh, so yeah, Kimi's out of the race uh, after his good result in Spain. No cigar at Monaco. And Danny Ricardo up front, because of Rosberg's tragic lack of pace in the first stint, Ricardo got like twenty seconds clear or something, which was it looked pretty Mega unsurmountable really. to be honest. And Thomas well, rather should have been, shouldn't it? I think was the uh, <laughs> was the way that we we went with it. Um, well, before before we got all to the, to kind of really where it went down. Um, we lost Kvyat and Magnussen in a rather silly incident. Um, Kvyat's oh, yeah. fault. It's not doing Fiat himself any favours again. Was no. Fiat. And the fact that he was obviously battling back from a lap down as well, like he shouldn't really be getting in such daft incidents like that, should he? No, it was... Um, people do occasionally make passes there, but you have to know that, A, that the person in front of you is going wider at that, that they haven't just left a little room and are going to turn straight in. Um, it's... Sorry, somebody's... <laughs> somebody's firing off fireworks in the background, but it sounds like somebody's wandering around with sort of an automatic shotgun. And I <laughs> don't, know right. whether, don't know whether I should lock, lock all the doors or just go outside and go, ooh, ah. <laughs> um, is it going to finish? Yes, it's finished now. Um, yeah, it's not. It's a place to be right up on somebody and then notice that they've drifted out to the left and then you put it down the the inside, get your car along, and then they can't turn back in. But that's not really what happened with Magnussen. He was obviously just a little bit slower than the, the Toro Rosso at that point, um, but was quite clearly going to go back on the line, did. And they, you know, Kvyat just collected them and put them both face first into the wall, and that was the end of everybody's um, everybody's race. Kind of while this is all all going on, um, 
there's the the weather's starting to dry up and stuff, so we're getting the the changes from wets to inters and then uh, inters to slicks. That's where Lewis was able to. Um, well, really it, made the, it basically made the time up through not pitting for interest, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, he and was. That, you, know what, you, have to, you have to say, fair play, well done. Uh, it was a bit of a master stroke to make 20 seconds up out of nowhere, really. Uh, well, of course, the ironic thing really is is that it 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 worked because of what happened with Nico. It, it, it allowed him to uh, get out and um, kind of look after his tyres better because he was in in fresh air, not following, not trying too hard to get past or anything, and like making his tyres second hand. So he was able to actually look after them um, for, for a long time. Plus, Nico was pushing everybody back at that point, um, giving him time to sort of do it as well and, and not um, and not have people feeding in in front of him. They were all sort of feeding in behind him when it, when it happened. Um, really, that was the point where people lost their chances for a good finish. A lot of people went early um, and it didn't work out for them. Um, Jensen Button, it didn't work out for. He got stuck behind Pascal Verlein, who stayed out for ages. Um, it's just uh, a complete lock of how the strategy unfolds at this point. Well, it, it does. Yeah. He got the problem with people for like Jensen and a few others when they got out and they got behind Verlein. It wasn't quite fast enough for the Inters to be a sizable chunk better than the Wets, where the Wets were just about hanging in there for three or four laps after that they after they had put them all on. So if you got stuck behind somebody who was really hanging it out there on the wet tires, your race was ruined because you couldn't get past them because you didn't have quite the advantage that you needed to just be able to sort of breeze past them and um, and make your move. So I really think people like Button and Massa, um, Bottas, all were really, you know, hampered by trying things, trying to push the race a little bit more. Uh, and the people who succeeded tended to be the people who waited and saw how everything was going. Um, but it was at that first set of pistols where uh, Rosberg ended up behind, because uh, he was ahead of Vettel and Alonso, and he ended up behind them, um, coming out of the pits. Uh, and that was pretty much the end of his race, because he got stuck behind Fernando Alonso, uh, and bar, for, bar, you know, bar one attempt, um, where he straight-lined the corner coming out of the tunnel, Never got close enough to him ever no, again. Don't uh, look like passing him at any stage, really. Just didn't have the pace or the grip. Monaco's difficult enough to pass at the best of times, but Nico just didn't look like he had the car underneath him all at all in this race, which is you know it sometimes happens. That is what it is. But fair enough to you know Alonso, who's driving the McLaren, who's which is obviously a slower car than the Mercedes when they're both you know. At their at their best, so fair play for Alonso for keeping it ahead of him. But Rosberg just didn't have he didn't have the true Mercedes underneath him this weekend for whatever reason. I don't know what that reason would is, but he didn't have it, uh, and and he he was punished uh, by losing his championship lead by however many points it was he lost. So, well, from Nico Rosberg's point of view, hopefully he can kick on and and put Monaco behind him going forward. So the big winner out of all of the the pit stops was really Sergio Perez who um, kind of leapfrogged everybody to end up uh, behind the leading pair. Uh, and then when the switcheroo did come on to slicks, um, he opted to go on to the soft tyres, whereas a lot of the other runners thought, mm, 
let's go for super soft and the ultra soft seemed like they were um everybody thought the ultra soft was going to be the tire to be on and it turned out to be the complete opposite from what i could tell the, it, it looked... seemed to be that you couldn't get the ultimate pace out of the ultra soft whether it no. was just because it was too cool um on track for them to turn the tires on um it seemed to be that it was better to be on the harder compounds because a they lasted longer uh, and gave you they uh, but they seemed to switch on better. Yeah, uh, from what I could see, the guys on the ultra softs had the worst pace. The guys on the super softs were you know in the middle, and the guys on the soft certainly for a large part of the the race post the pit stop had the, had the superior package. Guys like Vettel and Perez who went onto the softs were were substantially quicker for a sustained portion of the race than guys like Hamilton and. Rosberg, who were on the ultras, so they've the Mercedes have stuck the ultras on, thinking this is the faster tire, and we'll just we'll bowl it on it because nine times out of ten it would have been the faster tire. But just the freak nature of the weather and the track temperature and whatever else, the guys who've went oh sod it, we'll throw the softs on and just ring it out to the end and see what happens, locked into having the, the quickest setup. It was it was very strange. And then you had guys that split the difference in the middle. Like I think Fernando put on went for the medium, the, the middle compound, the super soft, yeah. who was kind of just kind of covered both ways. He was just middle of the road and was able to just drive accordingly. So it was it was very interesting. It was the most interesting tire from a tires point of view that I've seen for for a long time. So Hamilton up front throws on the throw, finally he manages to stay on the wets or long enough to and then go straight to slicks. Throws on the on the ultras. And then obviously, and Danny ultimately put on the, the the super soft. So Danny had the quicker tire at that point in the race, but as we'll I'm sure we'll come to, lost track position, so couldn't make it work. And uh, what what do you have to say about the fact how he lost track position? Uh, it's the <laughs> biggest shambles I've ever seen. The only thing that I can think is worse was when that time that Williams put a, a different. That remains to be one of my favourite Formula <laughs> One botches of all time. Like just seeing that Williams with three stripes one colour and a four stripe the different colour will never ever get old. But yeah, I mean, they've told him to pit. He got to the pits, the tires weren't there. It was absolutely comical. I couldn't believe it. I was going ballistic at the television. <laughs> Uh, what what can you say? Poor Ricardo, because that's going back to Catalonia. That's two races in a row. It's been taken from him completely out of his hands. You know he's driven brilliantly all weekend. A brilliant pole position lap. Scampered down the road at the start of the race, driving superbly. All he had to do was come in regular pit stop and back out. He'd have finished. He'd come out ten seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton. He'd have had a quicker t- tire on, and he probably would have finished the race ten, fifteen, twenty seconds ahead of Lewis. Possibly. Oh, I I think without a doubt. Um, and I think the is, fact that he was all over the back of him yep. showed it. Because he had the quicker tyre on. Not only did he have a good package, a good setup, and he was driving brilliantly, he also had the quicker tyre. So all he had to do was come out of that pit stop ahead of Lewis, and there's no way he would have lost that race. As it happens, he lost about 10 seconds in the pit stops, and he comes out, not only does he come out behind Lewis, but he comes out right behind Lewis, just, yep. you know, compound the agony of knowing that even a couple of seconds quicker in that pit stop and he's out and, and he's away and he has to stare at the back of Lewis's Hamilton's gearbox for half the race knowing that his team have chucked him this Grand Prix yep. <laughs> it was really uh, and obviously he tried to make the move he did have the quicker setup, but he couldn't make it stick 
there was that little incident around the chicane. What did you think of that? Was that fair? Fair game for both drivers? Uh, I I thought that was less marginal than the Spain one, which a, a large section of Formula One fans seemed to think was a slam dunk on Rogsberg being at fault. I think given the conditions, how everything was going, I think it was just something that happened. I think it was just a racing incident. I don't think Lewis slammed the door on him. I think there was unexpectedly a gap that, again, Ricardo thought he was going for. And probably ironically, really, is that um, had he not got that sort of wheel spin and swapper on, he'd have probably been further up the inside of Lewis and it would have all ended up in a big mess of, of carbon fire and fibre and cars down at the uh, the swimming pool. Because um, uh, they'd have just collected one another. The t- back tyres would have gone. They'd have flicked themselves around into the walls and it had just been, been a mess. So... Um, it could have been, I think, a lot, a lot nastier, um, and uh, a much worse situation. But I don't think that even then that wouldn't necessarily have been Lewis's fault. It would have just been cars in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's a small track, isn't it? You know. Well, and that's things... the. I think that's the point, isn't it? Is that you're going to have to you make have to, a little bit slightly... of common sense has to apply. I think. Yeah, you, you're yeah. going to have to make slightly risky moves to overtake in Monaco and you know the slightest opening can be one I think there's just a point where there's obvious openings that you should and shouldn't go for and then there's 50-50 openings and I think that was a 50-50 opening uh, and as it was you know uh, Ricardo didn't end up in the space Lewis didn't touch him everybody goes on and lives to fight another day um, yeah, I, I really am reluctant to get to a point in Formula One where we seem to want to punish every single attempted overtaking move that doesn't quite come off, or any, um, or every single defensive move. Yeah, because defensive that... move, yeah, like, it, yeah, I'm not having that. Like this was, and like in like in Spain at the first corner, it's a similar situation for me. You know, Ricardo. You, if you if you're pro Ricardo, you could probably argue that he's up the side of Lewis. If you're pro Lewis, you can get Lewis has the right to move over or whatever. Um, just it's it's Formula One racing at 200 miles an hour, or slightly less speed if you're talking Monaco. But you know what I mean? Like it's we. I'm not having every single incident be. Should that be a stewards' inquiry? No, no. Let, let them race and let's get on with it. No, no absolutely. Um, so Lewis ends up out front. Danny can't get past him because it's it's Monaco. By the end of it, um. He's tried so hard that his tyres aren't uh, aren't in a good enough condition to finish the race. Um, so he ends up seven seconds back, kicking himself. <laughs> only his team radio. to be really, yeah. His team radio was told the whole story, didn't it? You know. And I, I think there's an interesting thing here as well, and a story to be talked about because um, there was a lot of people online saying, "Oh, well, when Lewis." Uh, you know, spits the dummy about bad team calls. You know, he gets pilloried, but when Daniel Ricciardo does it, it's fine. And I look at their behaviour after the race, and I actually see that there's two different things. You know, there's there's a Lewis Hamilton who um, crashes into the second place sign, um, doesn't do anything uh, on the podium, stays out of the way. Uh, and does all the bits and pieces. And then there's Danny Ricardo, who, as annoyed as it is, parks his car properly, goes and takes his place at the thing, does all the interviews, does all the bits and pieces, doesn't shirk all the things that he has to do, despite feeling exactly the same way that Lewis Hamilton must have felt 
Do you know what I mean? And if if anything, um, Lewis had a bad call. You know, they shouldn't have brought him in. He didn't have enough time to pit and come out again. Um, but they thought they did. Do you know what I mean? They thought they had a call that they could make to get him in, get yeah. the tyres on and get him out. And it was precaution to make sure that he finished fine and didn't run out of tyres. And it didn't work out. Whereas Red Bull brought him in for a stop that he had to have and messed it up. Yeah, completely botched it. So. It's not, you know, both had the race taken away, but at least there was a marginal amount of logic in Lewis's call. Um, but not that, you know, Ricardo was literally just the, the, the thing he had to do and had no choice over got messed up for him. So, you know, if anybody is entitled to be super angry, it's him. And I, I think whilst he was, you know, you know, he didn't spray the champagne and I, you know, I didn't pillory Lewis for doing that because I think when you're upset, you don't want to be spraying champagne and doing the bits and pieces. That's fine. Um, it's the other stuff. It's, it's Ricardo not behaving like a brat for losing, <laughs> yep. despite probably having more reason to. So that was my take on, on how that all worked out. Oh, and, and before we go anywhere, Justin Bieber is allowed to stand by the Monaco podium. Go away. <laughs> go away, Formula One. If if this is Bernie or whoever's idea that this shows that Formula One is hip or anything like that, I don't want anything to do with it. Why is some <laughs> gimp with bleach blonde hair and tattoos all up his neck and a tie-dye t-shirt? Yeah, okay being allowed to just hang around the podium like no other celebrity has ever been able has been allowed to do that they just don't do that the podium is for formula one races do you know what i mean um the only celebs that ever go near it is like arnie when he's doing his interviews in in the in america but at least arnie goes to lots of other formula one races do you know what i mean you've seen him at other f1 races before bieber isn't a formula one fan what he's there because it's a big media celebrity event where you can go and drink highly expensive champagne with other celebrities and get photographed whilst doing it. He's not a Formula One fan. He doesn't care about the sport, but suddenly he's been given this unique privilege that he can't possibly give two hoots about. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't bother him. He's not going to sit there and look about, hey, do you remember that time I got the extraordinary <laughs> honour of being able to stand right by the Formula One podium? despite not taking part in any aspect of the race itself or the after celebrations or anything like that. I it... agree. <laughs> I prefer not to see it. That is what it is. I hated I... it. Hated it. Nothing worse. Um. Anyway, back to the actual racing. Sergio Perez in third. What a great drive. Uh, I've said Sergio. all I have to say about Force India. Sometimes they just turn up and become third. Uh, I, I, I'm done trying to explain why it <laughs> happens. Sometimes they just do. <laughs> they're, they're Formula One enigma. And this was a great drive to hold off Vettel, uh, put the tyres on, lucked into the fact that the tyres turned out to be absolutely ideal for the conditions. But yeah, fair play, Sergio Perez. Cracking drive, mate. Uh, what do we reckon of uh, Vettel's drive? Um... It just, it was what it was. He, he came out behind Perez when all the strategy unfolded, and he just couldn't get past him. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna vilify Vettel for struggling to pass somebody around, <laughs> around Monaco. Monaco. 
There's better drivers than Sebastian Vettel. Oh, well, not, not, there's other drivers on similar class to Sebastian Vettel. You have to say there's not much better than a four-time Formula yeah. 1 world champion. There are, there are plenty of other quality Formula 1 drivers, is what I mean, that will struggle to pass around Monaco. Yeah. And, you know, I've looked back to the... And the difference between the... I've seen, you know, the difference between the Force India and the Ferrari, whilst the Ferrari should be quicker, is not as much as sometimes you might see, like... Enrique Bernaldi and the arrows holding off David Coulthard and a McLaren for about sixty laps or something like that. Like, yeah. it, you know, it happens around Monaco. I'm not going to. Vettel probably should have had the pace to come third, but he struggled to get by. I'm not going to vilify him for that. Disappointing not to finish on the podium, but it is what it is. Fifth place for my boy Fernando Alonso. They had a good result there last year as well, didn't they? The, the Monaco in the last couple of years has been one of the better sort of McLaren tracks. It, it you seems that's to be not the, because it's not so not so engine intensive. Yeah, well, well, absolutely. Um, it's the one where the driver makes the most amount of difference, um, and where having a decent chassis really makes a bit, you know, makes up for you know. Any Shows other... that the McLaren backs up what you've said that the McLaren has a good chassis. You've always maintained that. So yes, I think what the sad thing it, it does show is that the engine is still really bad. Yeah. Um, because he finishes. Um, a minute and 10 seconds behind Sebastian Vettel. They nearly got lapped, didn't they? <laughs> yes. It was coming up to that dangerously close. They were only about sort of 10 seconds, I think, away yeah. from it happening. Um, Which isn't great. So what it shows you is that there's a drivable car in there, probably, uh, and that certainly Fernando Alonso um, was able to take advantage of that on that day. Um, but they... <laughs> The slightly, I mean, and, and I guess teams have to say these kind of sort of things in the press, but the little, you know, mentions of possibly being able to challenge Ferrari at Monaco mm-hmm. <laughs> were a little premature. But um, they didn't bring any update uh, updates for the engine to this race. No tokens spent, so anything that goes on is is only for reliability purposes rather than performance. So I guess we shouldn't be too, um, you know, kind of. We'll see how they do in Canada, which is yes. an engine track. So we'll it, see what they do there. We'll see if there's any any updates get brought to that um, in terms of the engine. It would be nice to see some there, but I get the feeling that we're probably going to wait until the European season proper before we see anything being dropped on that car. Um, and reports are that they're working 50-50 on 2016 to 2017. So the car may not get... Can't a... really be too surprised by that. Given well, no, that, absolutely. Know. Given that they, you know, the engine's probably going to get a massive overhaul once the season's over and the token system is out of the window, why not? Why wouldn't you just say, okay, we'll bring... What we won't do is do any radical changes to the layout of the engine because there's no point in you redesigning the chassis or anything like that or or getting that far. What we'll do is we'll we'll work on all the things that we can work on, tweak them and, and get the most out of them. You keep on working on general good aerodynamics things and then what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll keep all of this in mind as we're building next year's car where we're less, you know less highly regulated on the engine side of stuff uh, and you're getting more highly regulated on the um, on the bodywork side of stuff and wider tyres and all of those bits and pieces. But it, oh, sorry, Karen, I thought you were finished on the car. No, I was just going to say, um, <laughs> you guess move of the day probably goes down to Nico <laughs> Hulkenberg. I didn't see it and I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't actually see how, where he got past him. Yeah, um, I think it was literally coming out of the last corner think i think he just got a better drive out of the last corner and then was able to 
DRS past them up the street, I think, but I can't remember. <laughs> I uh, never saw it, so I'm like, because there were oh, it, happened. it was after the checkered flag, so they were showing bits and bobs of other things, Lewis celebrating and this and that, you know. And yeah, I think I think they came, he came out of the last corner, like right on his gearbox, and just got a better drive off the last corner and was able to power past them up the street. Rosberg had no grip, I think, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. Three tenths yeah, of a I mean, second, so it was... I mean, what, what, what was I saying about Force India? Come from nowhere. Yeah. One in one third, one in sixth. Absolutely stupendously good weekend. For a car that, you know, you wouldn't think is the obvious Monaco no. car. But it's always gone fairly well around Monaco, hasn't it? It's not... So, I mean, it's this... The, I, I, I don't know what the Force India is. <laughs> I'm happy for them though because I quite like it. I like both their drivers, so I'm happy that they've had a good weekend. Uh, big fan of both of the both of the guys there. So, well done to Force India. It's a really good double points finish. Not just a double points finish, but a really solid doubles points finish. Two cars in the top six is, I mean, McLaren would bite your hand off for that at the moment. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, well done, Force India. Nico, we've talked about Nico. He needs to just move on, forget this happened. He's finished seventh. His lead's gone down to 24 points. It's still a race victory in front. He needs to get his head back in the game and go and, go in and perform at Canada. Simple as that. Yep. Uh, Carlos signs first of the lap cars uh, in eighth. Um, I guess, given how everything else went on, uh, and another solid drive. Another, it's like you said before, showing his consistency, you know. It's, well, I mean, given the... I know Danny Fiat had his problem at the start and left the lap down, but Danny Fiat didn't help himself with his crash, whereas Carlos Sainz just quietly going about his business and putting it in the points, and that's that's what you want, you know. Consistency is underrated. <laughs> uh, and he finishes uh, ahead of Jensen Button. Um, Jensen was saying after the race that um, the car felt okay, um, but the first pit stop put him behind the manor, uh, and as soon as that happened, he was stuck behind him for six or seven laps before he pitted, uh, and that essentially just ruined his race. Because uh, he was up there at the start as well. He wasn't, you know, and he was going, and he, we all know Jensen's got a really good feel for the car and can, you know, make make things happen in changeable conditions. But Monaco is not the place to have to say, get yourself past the Mercedes-powered manor um, on tyres that aren't giving you that two-second advantage that they normally would do in those changeable conditions. So... Um, I think in a way, good good race to make sure that he ended up uh, in ninth, um, but uh, slightly undone in in strategy uh, compared to his teammate. I think, um, but he finishes ahead of uh, the first Williams in tenth of Felipe Massa. Um, does that tell us all we need to know about where Williams' problems lie? Yeah, I think so. We we knew that anyway, didn't we? I think we did. I'd like to think we did, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> We've been doing this for four years. By now, we can pick out when a car's got a poor chassis. <laughs> yep. When it finishes 10th in Monaco after finishing 5th in Spain. Uh, yeah. Uh, that car has been all engine for three seasons, and it's still all engine. So yeah. we'll see what happens next season with the change of regs and stuff. But it's going to be a crucial winter for Williams. We've been talking about them for a while and how they sort of kick on again big regulation changes coming up in the winter it's a chance it's a fresh start for everybody it's a chance for them to move away from their sort of what they have currently because they're, they're, they're playing it too I think they're playing it too safe currently they're, they seen, they they got a car that was got went from the back of the grid to solid on the points and they were so happy to be back sort of at the top end that they've, they've possibly it's probably stifled innovation and risk down there 
And with the new regulation changes coming up in the winter, it's a real chance for them to start afresh and go, right, let's get some decent aero strapped to this car and make this car good in corners, not just down a straight. Let's see what happens. Esteban Gutierrez. Esteban Gutierrez. In 11th. So it's two races in a row he's finished ahead of, well, his teammate, I want to Grosjean, crack, was, was so out Grosjean was driven and into driven this. into in this race. But that's... Um, <laughs> yeah, Gutierrez, he needs some points, though. I'm he does gonna... need points, but the, he had a rather... I think this drive was better, you know, by him. And, and Spain as well, to be fair. Um, he's picked up slightly. I would give him a lot of stick at the start of the season, but he's picked up ever so slightly. If he needs some points, though, and then I'll maybe give him a little bit more praise. But... I think what you've got to say is if if Grosjean starts scoring points again, he needs to start scoring points again. I think you can kind of write off the first two, two race results for Grosjean as being incredibly freak. Um so now what he's got to do is be consistent ahead of Grosjean. Otherwise, he's very definitely going to get replaced. I think. I don't think even the Ferrari link is going to save him for more than a season if you know he maintains a, a lucky to finish ahead of the Sauber's kind of race position, which he's had for the last few races. Um, but like I say, this this one, you know, he finished ahead of the Williams. You, whatever we're going to say about the Williams or anything like that, he's still, you know maintained and driven the car well enough to finish uh, ahead of a car that's clearly much better and much quicker than uh, the Haas is at the moment. Uh, Bottas in 12th. I don't remember anything happening to Bottas, so that's just a bad race for him, really, all around. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what happened to Bottas. So. I don't think he ever... I don't think he had an incident. I just think the car was bad for him this, this race. Well, he was bad in the car, whatever you want to say, but what else have we got then? We got the uh, Grosjean trundling around, having been driven into, and the two manners to round off the field. Both both two laps down. So I think that tells you everything that you need to know about Manners' chassis as well. Yeah, I um, think so. And Grosjean's race. Uh, and then we get to oh, we missed um, Paul Max Verstappen, uh, hero to zero, r- race yeah. winner in the last one. Bins it 35 laps into the Monaco Grand Prix. Bins it in qualifying as well. And bins it in qualifying. Uh, and <laughs> in practice. In pit, starts in the pit lane and bins it in the race as well. So After coming through, it has to be said, he came through the, the field at a point where not a lot of overtaking was, was, yeah, was, he was happening. Yeah, he was doing well and showing that. <laughs> and then he got into fresh air and, <laughs> and then had a crash. He was showing that that the reason that why we do like him that he can just get stuck in and make make things happen when he has to work his way through through a field which is what everybody raves about yes. with Verstappen and he was showing that but then obviously then he binned it so not great which uh, is the other thing that I think everybody hero. should say I think about he's him. crashed about five times at Monaco in two seasons like. <laughs> <laughs> at least he didn't run through somebody this time so but yeah I mean not great he will, like I say though he proved himself in Spain and he'll be he'll be back. Uh, and keeping up uh, the race by race, uh, teammates taking one another oh, out. This incident. Let's talk about Cyber <laughs> just for a quick minute. What the hell were they doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I don't think anybody in the Cyber garage knows. <laughs> I don't think what NASA knows, <laughs> and Marcus Ericsson certainly has no idea what he decided to do. Brendel's fuming on the commentary. He was like, what are you doing? I guess. First of all, there was the squabble over the radio about who should have been letting who passed. And then Ericsson decided to take matters into his own hands, I think, and shove one up. Uh, 
and the move wasn't on. Ericsson said after the race that he'd been told he could make a move on NASA, <laughs> um, which I think then just goes to show Salva's rather ineptitude there. Because what they should have been saying to Nazar is saying, you will pull over, otherwise um, we'll sanction you. You won't run the next race. Uh, I don't care about, we don't care about the sponsorship. You do what the team <laughs> tells you to they do. do. Except that they well, really, really care. <laughs> well, of course they, well, I mean, of course they do. But they, there has to be a point where they say, well, there's, if this is what, if the drivers are just going to say, well, no, I'm going to do what I want and not listen to the team because um, I'm paying the team for this drive, then there's no point. You might as well not bother yeah, having anything, in, you know, uh, and say it. But what Ericsson thought he was doing, I've no, I literally have no clue. It's the stupidest move I can <laughs> actually remember. It was, it was more stupid than Kvyat's move, because Kvyat he kind of started off with enough space, but there was never any space for Ericsson to do that. He literally, essentially, just ploughed his right hand tire into the barrier uh, and the left hand side of his car into his teammate. And then his team was just like, oh, all right, okay, well, I guess I'm heading to the barrier as well then. <laughs> it and... was it was tragic. There was nothing nothing good to be said. And I just... Uh, I don't For a know. team that's struggling, you know, it's not good. <laughs> a team that's known to be struggling financially, so you go and just do something so stupid, like... <sighs> You know, this team's work for the mechanics and stuff. You know, they're you know they're working hard for a team that's struggling, and then to give them a lot of extra work just through some complete ineptitude. Anyway, that was Monaco. That was Monaco. Um, I heard a lot of people saying this was a classic. I don't think it was a classic. It had its moments, but. There was a lot of cars just following one another and not yeah, actually agree. overtaking. It um, was okay. It was good. I and enjoyed it, that. And, it and realistically, if if Danny Rick hadn't had the pit stop thing, he'd have led every every lap of the race um, and won it. Which, okay, it's fun that it's a Red Bull doing it instead of a Mercedes, but there's no real different than any of the other sort of race results, really, is it, where we've, we've had these sort of things? No, I agree. It was just... I, I I'm really bad for trying to remain impartial. Like I, I had had the had this race had the runners finished and the as the guys I support finished higher up, I might have said, "Oh, it's an absolutely brilliant race." Like I'm terrible for that, but yeah, it was it was good, but it wasn't ten out of ten. No, no, and I, that's the bit I say. And again, lots of people were suggesting it was Lewis Hamilton's best race, and I'm just kind of like. You know, the the stint on the wet making them last as long was good. Um, but, you know, he lucked into being ahead of Ricardo on the track. He, and it didn't look like he was going to be able to pass him at any point up until that thing. Um, you know, and he would have been still a, a reasonable way behind when he came out. So he'd have had to have used up his ultra soft tyres uh, trying to catch up and, uh, and then try and get past. And I wonder if the ultra soft would have really made it to the end of the race on, you know, with, with being made to do um do that amount of uh of work so yeah um i don't think it was one of lewis's best drives i think it was a good drive from lewis absolutely fair play to him but um all he really did was make sure that his car was in a position where if anything happened he'd have a chance and as it happened something did happen and he took his chance good that's what we would expect from any Formula One driver. You would hope that any Formula One driver would um, 
you know, carry on racing fast and doing all the bits and pieces so that they can put themselves in the place where even if they think that they can't get past, if something happens, they might have a chance. So there you go. Driver of the day. Um, I can hear Hamilton fans like uh, screaming why would I not give it to Hamilton, but I'm going to give it to Sergio Perez. <laughs> Just because I agree with you. I think Hamilton doesn't win the race if Danny Ricciardo's pit stop doesn't completely balls up. So it's either, it's either Ricardo or Perez for me, and because Ricardo ultimately didn't win, Ricardo's team have let him down. I, I want to give it to Sergio Perez for for a podium place in the Force India. Okay, I'm going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo because I think um... that's fair because it was the team let him down. He didn't put a foot wrong himself, so I can I, can, I think that's fair. But uh, yeah, Perez getting the Force India in third. I'm going to give it there. Cool. Okay. So, I think that covers everything nicely in a in a good time frame for for both of the last two Grand Prix. We're on to uh, Montreal uh, next week. Looking forward to it. Very much so. One of my favourite Grand Prix of the season. Can't wait. Hopefully, Nico's back on form. Hopefully, the Ferraris up their game slightly. Time will tell. Not convinced that that's going to happen, but touch wood. But yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a good race, especially with, you have to say that the Mercedes don't look like they can just run away with races this season, maybe as easily as they have done in the last two seasons. So hopefully we can get something going on up front. Should be a good one. Yeah, I'm just trying to... um, uh, The tyre choices um, for this race... um, just want to check this out and make sure I've got my um, facts right. But both the Haas and um, the Renaults are taking no super soft tyres. They're only taking the softs and the ultra softs. Yeah, I, I actually, I did see that, yeah. A strange one. Uh... It does kind of make you wonder where they think they're going to use up five sets of soft tyres. Um, Unless they plan on just going. Well, for the Renaults, the the Hasses have got ten sets of the Ultra Softs and only three of the Softs, so they plan on using the Ultra Softs as much as they can. Then surely, yes. But... Whereas everybody else has pretty much gone for between six, six or eight, and in fact, it's only the um, only the Mercedes who have got eight Super Softs, uh, uh, Ultra Softs. Sorry, two Softs, Super Softs, and three Softs. Just trying to look at the. Yeah, three, three, and seven for the Ferraris and Massa. Um, four, two, seven for the Red Bulls. Two, four, seven for the Toro Rossos, who obviously expect to be using the Super Soft and the Ultra Soft. So maybe they think they're kinder on their tires. Um, three, four, I, I, three, I'm four, six for the for the McLarens. They're obviously not. 100% sure which of the tyres are working for them at this moment. So they... the, This tyre thing, I know we debated it at length before, but it's thrown up such a little quirk in the strategies that makes it so much more interesting for me from, from a, watching a race point of view. The fact that the teams can do what you've just alluded to and bring whatever combination they want should, in theory, make for amazing strategy through the race. I'm totally, totally digging these new regulations. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, 
any predictions for the race? Do you think it's Merck's pretty much sewn up this time, or do you think the... I think so, and ultimately, a gun to my head, I think I would say Lewis Hamilton will win the race. He's won it four times. Nico's never won there, so you'd have to say Lewis looks the favourite. Rebels ahead of the Ferraris, or Ferraris ahead of the Rebels? Good question, not 100% sure. Power track, you think the Ferrari would have the better engine, but that Red Bull has looked very strong in the last couple of races, so tough one to call. They'll be battling it out for third. Not quite sure which way it's going to go. I'm sitting on the fence. Uh, and where do you think the Williams are going to be? Behind the Ferraris and the Rebels, but ahead of everybody else. Okay, interesting. We shall see how that works out. Well, uh, that takes us nicely to the uh, end of the podcast uh, this week. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Thanks very much for your patience in waiting for this episode to come out again. Apologies, uh, but obviously sometimes real life does get in the way of uh, making these recordings. Um, we should be back hopefully onto a, a bit of bit of a more regular recording thing and hopefully maybe dropping a few odd uh, in-between episodes uh, if we can possibly make it happen um, to keep up with the news of everything that's going on with the podcast uh, you should very definitely bookmark www.lastlappodcast.co.uk where uh, all of our uh, blog articles come out of all of our episodes are first uh, set up and ready for you to stream or download uh, and obviously any uh, form- uh, any podcast news uh, we will publish on there um, you can also follow us on Facebook where we will uh, you know obviously try and keep you up with everything to do with the podcast as well as Formula One uh, so just search for the last lap podcast on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter where we will uh, retweet and talk to you guys if you want to have a chat with us about Formula One so that's at last lap podcast uh, on Twitter so yeah please get on there uh, you will find us ready to subscribe to on iTunes tune in and stitcher and uh, as always we'd really love it if you guys could leave us a review on any of those um any of those services it really helps us get out there to um other formula one fans and you'd be doing us a massive favor if you can spend five minutes just uh leaving a little rate and a review on itunes or, or whichever uh podcast service you particularly subscribe to so once again thanks very much for listening and we shall see you after montreal see you later bye-bye bye-bye